Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I wanted to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. You can check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, folks, and welcome back into the Orange and Brown Report podcast. I am your host, Jared Mueller. Uh, today, I get to talk to Stephen Thomas, uh, working on plans to get Jake in here this later this week as well. Make sure if you are interested in advancing your audio career in some kind of podcasting, uh, that you get up on that Blue Wire Hustle opportunity is just definitely something you can't turn down uh, for what it is and what you get out of that. So i uh, going to bring in my buddy, Steven. Steven, how are you doing today, buddy? Oh, living the dream, my friend. Looking forward to finally uh, starting to get at least a couple answers to these Browns off-season questions we've been talking to death for six months now. So the uh, next few weeks are going to be exciting. They are, yeah. And I mean, I think it's been interesting for me and and the site is I tend to be a little bit more scatterbrained than, than what we've been trying to do on the site. Uh, so it's actually been fun at some level to really like hone in on positions and, and focus on them. At, at, on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but over there. What about that? What about here? What about the draft? What about this? What about this position? What do we can do here? You know, my scatterbrain ADD kind of kicks in a little bit. Um, but, you know, we've been, it, it's been fun <clears> to try to, focus that. Uh, I don't really like doing it at times, but it's been really fun to, to kind of focus in on that. And so, you know, we're, we're in the middle of, or we just started uh, interior defensive line week. Uh, I have some pessimistic thoughts on that. So I'll just kind of throw, we'll start with actually that and just kind of a quick look. When you look at the interior defensive line, just in general, whether it's where the Browns are, free agency, I'm really opening the, the, the book to you, or even in the draft, what do you see when you look at that position, and, and how important do you think it is for the Browns going into the 2021 season? Uh, it's definitely a, a critical area that they need to shore up, and there are just so many questions. Like you said, there's so many. The good thing is, uh, for fans out there, uh, and for me that I've found, there are a myriad of different ways they could attack the draft uh, and free agency, and none of them seem to be bad. Like, I have tried to find a route that they could take that I don't like the results, and I I have really been unable to do it. As far as the interior defensive line, though, I think as far as any of the positions of need uh, that we've all been discussing, it's the most up in the air. I mean, the first thing they have to do is answer the in-house questions, obviously. Uh, Larry's a free agent. Uh, Sheldon has that... Um, uh, option year with the the hefty number that they probably don't want to to see, uh, but 
when you look at the free agent class, at least as we know it, and the draft class, there are not a ton of options that, as you said, they need immediate help now because uh, they're in their window. Uh, so, you know, yeah, there's some young guys in the draft that could develop three, four years down the road, but is that what you want at this point in the build? And so then naturally you would turn to the free agents. Who can come in and play right away? Well, I, there's only a couple of guys that I think would fit the bill, and we don't know if they're going to be available. Um, top of the list would be uh, Leonard Williams, who I I will actually be rather surprised if uh, the Giants let him hit the market. But if he does, um, he's probably the crown jewel of what you would think of, you know, younger, a lot of upside, and, you know, could be around in a piece for a long time. Um, but I, I really think the Giants are, are going to keep him. And outside of that, I mean, I like Puna Ford quite a bit, but, I mean, he's not a game wrecker, uh, and he's uh, he's restricted uh, out in Seattle. So as long as they can find a way to answer their existing uh, questions as far as the salary cap goes, and I think they'll be able to, my guess is he would be back uh, out there. Dalvin Tomlinson's a, a solid option and probably not going to cost a ton, um, yeah, I know Shelby Harris is a guy that we both liked last year, and you like him again this year. I don't know, since he's over 30, if they would be willing to give him the money that he's probably going to want. Um, one guy that I wouldn't mind, because like we said, we're in this window, so uh, veterans over 30 that can only help you for a year or two are options now. It's obviously not your first choice in a lot of places, but there are, there are definitely options. That's one of the reasons J.J. Watt is... Uh, so interesting right now. As far as the interior defensive line goes, if Tampa lets Ndamukong Sue hit the market, he he's not the Ndamukong Sue he was, you know, six years ago where he was just absolutely unstoppable, the Hulk out there. But, I mean, he's still, I mean, he had like eight sacks and 40 quarterback hits and, and you know, 37 other hurries. or something. I don't know the, the stats right in front of me. He's still damn good. And so if... A, you can make the money work a year, two years with an option, something like that. And B, uh, you know, his locker room and off-field stuff has followed him his whole career. If they're comfortable with that for a year, I mean, just imagine, you know, J.J. Watt and Ndamukong Sue being added. Then you draft some young guys uh, to come in behind him and take over two years from now. I mean, that's the best of both worlds, short-term and long-term, but... As far as the interior defensive line goes, my expectations are Sheldon will be back on a restructured deal. They'll sign a middle to lower tier uh, guy, hoping Andrew Billings comes back. Uh, they'll sign another middle to lower tier guy in free agency and then hope that someone falls to them at value uh, on day two, a Tufele or um, uh, somebody like that, maybe a Davian Nixon if he falls, something like that. Um, but the, it, it's probably the worst market of all the positions that they need as far as depth and available options heading into this offseason. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, it's just a I, – I just – I there's a piece coming out on the OBR, kind of a follow-up on your piece, and it's just such an interesting position because when you look at where the Browns are – this year compared to where they were last year, really at some level, if everything stays the same, they're just subbing in Andrew Billings for Larry Ogunjobi. Now, they they thought they are going to have both, right? They thought they were going to have mm-hmm. Larry and Andrew and then, then Billings, you know, opted out. But compared to what they had in 2020, they could be looking at a year older Sheldon Richardson, 
And then obviously we talk differently when it's young person. We look at a Jordan Elliott who could be developing after one mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And then you have Andrew Billings who should be as healthy as you possibly can be, but you have some worries about somebody who's taken a year off of playing professional football. At some level, they could be exactly where they were last year because you're right, it's a, it's a bad group, you know, it's overall to fill uh, in free agency. And they have needs at edge, cornerback, free safety, mm-hmm. maybe linebacker. So then you look and go, well, if it's going to be similar to last year and if they were kind of happy with last year, they just needed, you know, a one more kind of piece. What does that piece look like? How do you spend the money? And then you look at someone like Leonard Williams, who is such an interesting player, and we can use him because he's the big name. He had one year of, of good sacks, right? So last year, uh, 11 and a half. Uh, his second year in the league, he had seven. But obviously, that's not what you that's not what you only pay them for. Uh, but according to PFF, he's only had one year of a pass rush grade of over 70. And and the New York Giants, who drafted him sixth overall, were willing to trade him in city for a, what was it, a third round pick, right? You know, like uh, it, yeah, I don't remember. It's, it's just an, such an interesting player. It's such an interesting position. <laughs> there are so many, there are so few Aaron Donalds, uh, Chris Smiths, even Stephon Tua. You know, there's there's like five of them in the league, you know, that interior presence that can really make a difference, uh, that that I think it'll be really interesting to see if they really touch that market, or is that somebody, you know, a, an older guy who gets cut because of <laughs> the salary cap squeeze, those kind of things. Um, but in the end, if they upgrade the edge but don't get any push in the middle, the quarterback's just going to step up. So they need a little bit of everything. It'll just be interesting if they put money there at that position. So, folks, make sure you're tuning into the OBR this week. It is interior defensive lineman week. Um, you know, we could be a little bit more specific, call it defensive tackles, or we could really break it down and start talking about zero, one technique, kind of that nose, or and then the three technique, or the two eye, the four eye, you know, all of those kind of things. But instead, we are just going to talk about it as defensive line and break it down as we go throughout the week. But we're going to look back a little bit, Stephen. Uh, we've already talked about uh, at the OBR, we've already had cornerback week, safety week, and edge week. Uh, so if we kind of group those three together, what do you see when you look at the depth of both cornerback, you know, defensive backs, and edge, when you look at the free agent depth versus the draft? What do you see? Because I know, you know, you kind of have your, your your eyes on both parts of that as we're going through this process. Well, I think that's a big reason why I, if you ask me right now, I find it uh, unlikely, as it sounds like you do from what you just said, that they end up spending big money or even middle range money on the interior defensive line because the options at corner and safety and edge in free agency are far more plentiful. Um, and so it, it only makes sense. I mean, just simple math tells you if you've got eight choices at you know edge and two choices at interior defensive line and you're competing with 31 other franchises, your odds of landing an impact player are better at edge or safety or corner or whatever. The the markets are just deeper at those other places. I mean, if you ask me right now, I think they're going to, if they're going to spend big anywhere, it's going to be edge and uh, corner or uh, safety. And then they'll play, they'll spend semi-big at the other defensive back spot that they don't spend big at, if that makes any sense. But the safety market is going to be interesting. Justin Simmons, obviously the biggest name, but one, I doubt he gets out of the Rocky Mountains. I, it sounds like Denver's doing everything they can 
to keep him there again, which only makes sense. And two, if he does, uh, I don't know that anyone's going to, I don't know if we're going to use the phrase reset the market in this coming cap year with the drop, but he would get the biggest dollars. And I don't know if they're going to spend that kind of money. And maybe they will. Uh, you know, I mean, he's really, really good. So, um, but when you look at guys like Marcus Williams and John Johnson and Marcus May, who are also available, um, even Anthony Harris, if you're looking for a guy over 30, they're really, maybe not Simmons good, but they're really good, and they're a lot younger and will probably cost less. So if they're going to spend money at safety, I'm guessing it's a Marcus Williams or a John Johnson. Um, and if they swing and miss there or those guys don't want to come, you've got other options. You've got Xavier Woods, an interesting under-the-radar name out of Dallas. Um, took a step back this year, but... Uh, pretty much everybody on the Dallas defense took a step back. So, I mean, I don't know if you can hold that again. Maybe they can. I don't know. But, you know, he's somebody that's interesting and still young and could develop. Um, and the, the possibility of grabbing a, a guy like Richard Sherman or Patrick Peterson and moving them to safety has been brought up, and that's certainly intriguing uh, in a way. And then, you know, when you turn to a draft, it, it's a really good draft class, I think, um, at safety. you got um, Trevon Morig. you got Andre Sisco. Uh, if his uh, 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 injury checks out, uh, Javon Holland, I know, is a is a favorite of yours. Those are guys yes, that can all, they can play deep. They can drop down into the slot. They're kind of you know uh, free safety slot corner hybrids, if you want to use that term. And then different type of safety. You've got uh, Hamza Nasruddin and uh, Talanoa Hafunga uh, from uh, Florida State and USC, respectively, that are more at least projected to be more in the hybrid linebacker you know, what you would have called strong safety a few years ago. So they've got a ton of options. It just depends on, you know, the value uh, and everything that they decide at safety. As far as corner goes, we've discussed this before. It looks on the surface anyway like there's a better market in the slot in free agency than there is on the outside. Uh, there's a few guys on the outside, William Jackson, uh, obviously. If they like a guy like Shaquille Griffin, or uh, Quentin Dunbar, uh, I think they can recapture what they had in the past. That might be uh, someplace they go. Levi Wallace is a name I haven't heard mentioned a lot uh, out from Buffalo, but he's done nothing but play well since he's been up there. And that would be an, an interesting, kind of like a Terrence Mitchell-style yep. signing. You know, not a guy that you want to lock down the opposing wide receiver one, but he's going to be there, he's going to do his job, and he's going to do it well. That would be something that I, somebody that I would find interesting. I, I if you... I would guess right now they would probably spend bigger, you know, for a Brian Poole or a Mike Hilton uh, or even a Cameron Sutton or Nikel Roby Coleman in the slot um, than they would to target uh, somebody on the outside because there are a lot of options on the outside in the top 100 in the draft. That's just a guess just looking at the available stuff there. And as far as edge, uh, you know, we're all waiting for J.J. to make his decision. And frankly, I know some people are annoyed by it. But the fun he's having the last couple of days <laughs> tweeting out cryptic stuff is cracking me up. Go for it, man. You have earned it. I mean, Because that is totally not – like, doesn't fit his quote-unquote brand. Like, it's right. surprising and it's kind of fun. It's, I mean, it's cracking me up. And I would do the same thing. I'd be, you know, a lot of you people are in my mentions yelling at me to make a, you know, multi-million dollar decision about moving my family on your timeline? No. I'm going to – you know, and he's having a good time with it, so – I like that, but it, whether or not we get him, it's it's a deep edge class at free agency. Uh, I know they've done some work on uh, Ngakwe. Uh, if Baltimore lets him hit the market, Trey Hendrickson, Carl Austin, 
Um, and also, there's like we said about uh, corner, there are some very intriguing top 100 options at edge in the draft. I mean, if you could get me, specifically talking about edge, if you could say, uh, you know, J.J. Watt for, uh, you know, two years with a third-year option or something like that, and then draft a guy like Rousseau, who for some reason keeps dropping in the rankings, and let him learn for two years behind J.J. Watt and Miles Garrett, who, who would... Who would you rather have a young guy learn from than those two guys? So that two years from now or three years from now when J.J.'s contract is up and he decides to move on, you got a guy like Gregory Rousseau to step in behind him. That's the best of both worlds to me. Um, Careful, Stephen. I, I, I can't come through the microphone uh, and give you a hug. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you really are starting to preach to kind of my goal is, you know, let's, let's – let's, if you get J.J. Watt, great, right? But – you know, if you get J.J. Watt and bring in a long, developmental-ish person and at times have Miles Garrett and that Rousseau is my pick there as well, and then slide Watt inside with Sheldon yes. Richardson or at times have, you know, uh, Claiborne on the outside along with Rousseau and then you have Miles and J.J. Watt against the two guards in center. Like, and then right. you just, you know, like I just think it's such a fun there's so many fun thoughts, and it, it, but it's not dependent on JJ, right? Like, it's not like other years where there's one free agent edge, right? right. Like, there's not. There are so many. Like you're talking about with, with Lawson and just, I mean, Aquaria and I. Listen, one of the things I want to make sure everybody just heard was Stephen Thomas just spoke through some names about some Florida State and USC dudes, like like he was saying the word Jones and Smith. Like, it's impressive. <laughs> also, make sure you guys are checking out for subscribers to the OBR. Uh, there are some YouTube stuff with Jake and Steven, uh, and he was breaking down. Uh, they were looking at some of the edge prospects. So you can see it on uh, going through the subscriber uh, paywall uh, at the OBR, but you can see them breaking down some of the film on a bunch of guys, you know, talking about why some guys are probably out, uh, like uh, uh, what is Jalen, what's his name in Miami? Jalen Phillips. Uh, Phillips, yes, sorry. Uh, you know, why he might be out uh, talking through, you know, the defensive lineman at Georgia, across the board, just a bunch of guys. So make sure, as subscribers, go to the OBR, check those things out. There'll be another one coming out this week. Make sure you're checking those out. So I'm, what I'm hearing from you is there's depth at the three most important or need-oriented positions on, that the Cleveland Browns have on defense? Yeah, pretty much everywhere outside of interior defensive line, they have numerous options at various pay levels in free agency, and they also have numerous options at various ranking levels in the draft. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned some of the uh, the guys in the draft. Uh, uh, Zizo Jolari is one of my favorite guys. I know uh, Jason Owe is still being mentioned in connection with the Browns despite his production numbers. Um, uh, Ronnie Perkins, Victor Demukeji down at Duke. A couple guys a little bit later. Um, and then you look at the day three guys. If you were to spend a bit, let's say it's not J.J. Let's say it's one of the younger guys. Let's say it's Trey Hendrickson or Carl Lawson or, or Yannick Ngakwe, whoever. you know. And you don't want to spend top 100 draft capital to bring in somebody there and you're looking more day three. Ellerson Smith, the FCS guy from uh, northern Iowa, six foot seven, two 265 pounds and, and hops for days. Mm. Janarius Robinson uh, down at Florida State, speaking of the Seminole guys, 6'5", 265, 87-inch wingspan. Go look him up. His uh, raw and didn't get a lot of you know opportunity because the situation down there was just 
you know, off the charts crazy the last couple of years. So he got kind of got lost, but the raw skills and the, the physical skill set are there. There's, they have so many options. Like I said back at the top, it's, it's really hard to find a route that they go that you, at the end of it, you look back at the free agent, the potential free agent hall and the potential draft hall in any kind of mock simulation, and you look at the end result and go, nah, I don't really like that. I mean, it's really hard to find a bad route that they can go. They have an opportunity to add pieces at, like you said, the most critical impact areas of the defense, um, except interior defense. That's the tricky one. Um, mm-hmm. ID, IDL, unless... Because of the cap, somebody out there that none of us have thought of yet suddenly becomes available in a trade in some kind of cap move somewhere. Uh, there, there's, I mean, there's no, there's, there's options, and it's not, like you said, it's not like they're going to take a huge step back if they just run it back with what they have. But as far as improving, making a giant improvement, there's not a ton out there, which is why for me, in Dominican Sue on a one or two year contract. Boy, that could end up being a really attractive option in your Super Bowl window. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that I always focus on is is people who can kind of play up. So I'd rather draft more safeties than linebackers because safeties can do a lot of the things linebackers can do. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather draft, ex, you know, edge guys who can move inside than, like Rousseau. you know, yeah, like Rousseau, than inside guys who can't really move outside, right? Like like just how that kind of all works itself out, even like cornerbacks who can move to safety at times. Um, just going to throw out a little uh, article idea for one of us uh, when we get to draft time. Who's the Emmanuel Ogba? Don't answer this. But who's the Emmanuel Ogba <laughs> of this year's draft, right? Because that is a player that we know Andrew Barry was a part of the drafting of long time ago. We can't assume everything about, you know, Sashi Brown and Andrew Barry, that there's crossover there, but just something to think about. But now as we're kind of talking, so if we talk about the Browns' major assets, right? So we talk major assets, we're talking free agents, big free agent signings or decent free agent signings and top 100 picks. If we say there's seven of those, right? So four draft picks, first, second, two thirds, that's four. And let's say the Browns have three free agent signings that are impactful, right? It's very possible we're talking about Let's just say J.J. Watt. Let's say of a safety, whether that's Marcus Williams or whatever, and let's say some, what, random corner, right? Like it doesn't have to be a top of the line. could be like the Mike Hiltons of the world, which slot corners don't get paid. That literally leaves four draft picks to find a speed receiver, add another corner, heck, add another safety if you wanted to, right? Add that interior, add a different edge. Like there's so many variety if you think of like – Seven resources, seven of the top resources. So even if that's an accurate number, I don't, I'm not saying it is. Maybe they only do two kind of big, impactful free agents and then still have the four, likely four, maybe more if they decide to trade down, whatever. If you're looking at those seven, how many of those do you think are spent on the three positions we were just talking about? Cornerback, safety, either free or strong, and edge rusher. How many do you expect? Probably five. Yeah. Um, I, and maybe more. I mean, you look at the boards, and I try in all the, you know, thousands of mock drafts that I do uh, to spread the positions out and everything. But just about every day I look at those top 100 picks, and let's say I picked an edge at, at 26. When I get to 59, there's usually two or three guys that are fantastic value to go edge again if you wanted to. The same for corner. If I take 
you know, whoever. J.C. Horn falls every so often uh, to 26, so I'll grab him there. Then you get to 59, and you're looking at Asante Samuel. You're looking at uh, Fatu Melifanu. You're looking at Elijah Molden. You're looking at now Kelvin Joseph is up in that range. I mean, easily, you know, you could go back-to-back corner. You could, if they spend big in free agency on the defensive line, let's say it's J.J. Watt and... They do bring in Indomitian Sue or, you know, Leonard Williams or whatever. And, you know, who knows what they'll end up doing. But let's say that's where the most of the free agent dollars go. Well, now you're more than justified to having three of those top four picks or maybe all four be corner, corner, safety, corner. You know, I mean, you could easily go that route. I mean, not that you force a positional pick for need, but there's what I'm saying is there's enough value in those top 100 picks that all of these positions, at least apparently at this point, that you could justify it. So, yeah, I would say at least five um, of those. Uh, now, now we're supposing that, the you know, some things remain static, that David Njoku is not traded or, you know, something crazy like that happens. Um, but, you know, as it stands right now, yeah, I mean, you could add a speed receiver. You could wait till day three to add a speed receiver. You could, here's an out-of-the-box thought. You could add another tight end at one of those. If you address enough in free agency and hit your first two picks hard, you could grab a guy, you know, in the, as early as the second round if somebody falls. I mean, that's an outlier, but it's certainly possible that you could add a receiving threat there into a scheme that loves and values tight ends as much as this one does. You should almost always have a young guy in the pipeline developing. So... I mean, heck, you could – I did it the other day just because he was there. J.C. Treader, as much as we all love him, is now north of 30, and his contract is within sight. Will he demand another you know, dollar amount similar to what he is at age 31, 32, and will Andrew Berry give it to him? If the answer to either of those is no – you could, you know, grab a center or, you know, a, an interior offensive line guy who can go between guard and center and get him in the pipeline to, to learn for a year or two to take over uh, in a couple of years after J.C. leaves. I mean, there, there's, a, there's so many options that they have, and all of them are positive. But if you step back and look at it in a vacuum, the short answer to your question, now that I've rambled for an hour here, is uh, at, I would think at least five. Uh, the vast majority of their resources this off this offseason, as everyone has said for a long time, this is nothing new, are going to be spent on the defensive side of the ball. That's just the way it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right, but I think what's really fun about it is not only are they going to be spent on the defensive side of the ball, but they can be spent in a very specific way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, oh, we got to add everybody. Like, part of the good... Part of the good that they don't care about linebacker or don't seem to care about linebacker is that you really start to really focus on a lot of things. And if they really believe Greedy Williams is good, right? So, again, if, again, that's if, <clears throat> if they know he's healthy and they, you know, all that kind of stuff, if they're able to, again, I'm going to use this because I actually fired up a mock draft uh, machine real quick while we were talking, you know, again, add a – let's not say J.J. Watt. We don't get people too excited. Adding Carl Lawson. Adding Marcus Williams, adding Mike Hilton. So slot, mm. free safety, and a defensive end. Mm. Again, those three names don't even really matter. Now, we like all three of those, right? But those names don't even really matter because if it's not Carl Lawson, it's this guy. If it's not Mike Hilton, it's Rodney Poole. You know, it's we just have a lot of names out there. And if it's Mar- not Marcus Williams, go on down the board even to, like, trade Boston, and we're mm-hmm. going to be pretty happy, right? So we add those three names. Again, Carl Lawson at Edge, 
Um, we're talking about Marcus Williams at free safety to go with that three safety look and Mike Hilton playing the slot. So he could literally go Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, Mike Hilton, with three safeties being Grant Delpit, Marcus Williams, and Ronnie Harrison. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes and their offense, Lamar Jackson and their offense, Josh Allen and their offense, I'm less scared of. And that leads me to my mock draft. So real quickly, and I'm not the, the proficient one like you are, I, I pulled up our boys at the Draft Network, boys and girls, sorry. Apologize to you, Paige. Uh, love what you do. Um, and real quickly, in my first three picks, Gregory Russo, Javon Holland, Tylen Wallace. Right, I have one more pick here, which I could take Miamisburg's own Josh Myers and uh, as an interior offensive line as kind of that think-ahead player. I have mm-hmm. options with more safeties. Uh, we got a few guys at the interior of the defensive line. It's just really exciting to see that, uh, much like last year when the offensive line class was you know, five, six, seven deep, and the Browns needed an offensive lineman, they're really in that position this it year. It matches up again, yeah. And, and, again, some of it's magical, right? Like, some of it's just luck that certain people didn't get injured, didn't have terrible seasons, didn't get re-signed, whatever it is. We still have to get through the tags, uh, which I don't expect as many tags to happen quickly this year. I expect there'll be a little bit of a delay in that. But the Browns are in position to be successful, um, and it's really exciting to hear from you, who is kind of foot in both worlds, right? You're looking at free agency to talk about the Hiltons and the Sues and the, you know, all those people. And then, but also obviously running every mock draft that is possible. Um, <laughs> so Stephen, in your most realistic world, how good is the Browns defense next year after what you think is realistic in free agency and realistic in the draft? Uh, if we assume health of these guys, no catastrophic losses like we had this past year, and assume that we're got please, you know, beyond you know COVID being a daily, you know, serious pressing issue, I think anything less than middle of the pack would be a disappointment. I, I really think they could be between ten and fifteen. Um, there's going to be a lot of young guys, so assuming a top 10 defense is probably, I mean, they could do it, but it's probably a, a little, you know, overly positive uh, for this coming year. Um, but yeah, if they can get to, you know, 12th, 13th, even 15th, if they can get to the top half of the league on a consistent basis and continue to focus on t- the turnover aspect, which, you know, Joe Woods likes to do, which is a huge thing in today's NFL, with, especially with the explosive offense that they have, I, I really think, I think what you're trying to ask without asking it is, can they be good enough to win a Super Bowl? And I, <laughs> and I think the answer, and I, I can't believe these words are going to come out of my mouth, is I would be disappointed if they're not. Now, whether they end up doing that or not is a completely different question. But will they be good enough to potentially do it? I really, really, really think they will. You know, and that's, I mean, that's all you can ask for. I think the reality is, is a good, in in the NFL, you just can't be bad at things. You have to be great at some things, and you can't be bad at things. And I think that's where the Browns are are really working towards here with the defense. The top 15, 16, 17 defense and what we think that offense can become is Super Bowl worthy. I'll just be honest. I've come to the conclusion that the NFL playoffs, much like Major League Baseball, at some level is Yahtzee. There are so many variables, whether it's injuries, 
specific plays, whatever. The Browns almost beat the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes got hurt. Mm-hmm. The Browns would have beaten the Chiefs, I think, if Rashard Higgins hadn't extended the ball. The Browns would have beaten the Chiefs if Dan Sorensen wasn't headhunting, right? The Chiefs probably, maybe, would have beaten the Bucks if they, you know, had an offensive line. Like, there are just variables. I think it gets it becomes so random at times. And then you have other years where everybody stays healthy, there's nothing overly fluky, and the best team just destroys, you know, the other team. Like, that happens as well. So, you know, for me, as a, as a Browns media person for, I don't know, 12 years now, um, and as a fan all my life, yes, I want a Super Bowl. But the realistic thing I need is a team that's capable of mm-hmm. making the Super Bowl. That's what I need. The rest, I have to realize there's so many variables that are not controllable that could create whatever. Like, we're in the era of Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Aaron freaking Rodgers. Tom Brady's going to play till he's 90. Like, there have been other eras of quarterback play where there might have been one of those quality guys. You know what I mean? So just a, just a lot of variables there. But the Browns, with the moves that we think they can make, they have the opportunity to make. They're not bottom feeding in some of the positions. They need people because there's quality depth there. Um, the Browns can have a Super Bowl level defense for next year, and that's all you need. Yeah, I mean, and, and you hear these guys say it every year. The players say it, and fans either have become numb to it or they don't really process what it means. They often say, we just want to get in. Get us in the tournament. That's all we want because once you're in, anything can happen. And I think that's the shorter version of what you just said. And in some respects, uh, you compared it to you know baseball and, and some other sports, in some respects it's kind of like the NHL playoffs as well because just about every year there's a 7 or 8 seed who at just the right moment, for reasons unknown, gets a hot goalie. And a hot goalie can carry you through two or three levels of the NHL playoffs. And in the NFL, the equivalent to that would be, you know, the quarterbacks you were talking about. Of course, it can be other positions as well, but the quarterback, obviously the most important. Someone who just gets on a streak in January and they're just unstoppable, you know, and they can they can overcome, you know, an injury to one of their offensive lines or a <laughs> defense with, you know, the the top corner down. They can they can score more points for two straight weeks until that guy comes back or you know whatever the case may be. But you hear these guys say it every single year: just play postseason football because it's a different game at that point. It's a different speed. It's a different level of concentration. There's far less room for error, and anything can happen week to week, whether you're the one seed or the seven seed. It makes absolutely no difference. Well, not absolutely no difference, but it, it can be equaled out. Anything can happen. And so, and I think what, what you just said is, is totally correct. You get me a defense that can compete every week. I think the days of the you know, the 2,000 Ravens and the 85 Bears smothering somebody for 17 consecutive weeks and giving up an average of eight points a game are just over. You know, the rules have changed so much in the favor of the offense over the past dozen years or so that that's, they can do it once in a while, but it's just not going to happen over the course of a season anymore, at least I don't think. So that shouldn't be the bar in your head of what you're trying to envision. Just get me a defense that can create some turnovers, can get three or four stops a game on average, force three or four punts, and play, you know, middle of the pack or better football, 
And then with the offense, the Browns showed that they can be this past year. If they add a couple pieces here and there, you know, in the speed department and Odell comes back healthy and, you know, you know everything that we've all talked to death, you, like you said, you got a team that can do it. Now, whether it happens or not, again, different story. Uh, I've been through this. I'm old enough to remember being a team that could have won and came up just short a bunch of times. It happens. It doesn't mean that they were a bad team. It doesn't mean they made the wrong moves. It doesn't mean that, you know, this or that or the other. It just didn't happen for them this year. But if you have a chance year after year for a five- or six-year Super Bowl window, that's really all you can ask for as a fan. Give them a chance. And then if they go out and do it, we'll all be uh, happy and, and, you know, pantsless. And uh, I can't wait for the boat parade on Lake Erie in February. That's going to be... I mean, come on. A boat parade on Lake Erie in February? You can't do it. You can't be better than that. I don't even I got I got nothing for for any of that last part of I'm I, I got nothing <laughs> but it made, did make me think as we we're talking about anything that happened you know the how it started how it ended kind of thing and and the picture of how it started that the snap over Big Ben's head and how it ended him and Pouncey crying on the bench mm-hmm. like that's the perfect how it started how it finished so Stephen we're gonna finish up here today I appreciate your time I appreciate all your mock drafts and. And even just kind of uh, giving me the inside, hey, this is the direction I'm looking so that I could look even deeper, uh, you know, into the interior defensive linemen. Uh, so Steven's piece is up on the site. Again, go to the OBR.com. Uh, if you want to be a subscriber, you're going to get all of the inside information from Lane Atkins, from Brad. Um, when, when, I, when I have it again, I'll, I'll get it to you. Uh, no combine really hit that for me. Uh, you'll have a piece coming up from me. Uh, kind of expounding on some of what Steven said, but also just talking about the, the supply and demand factor on the interior defensive line, which is very important. Listen, we're, we're in an economy conversation at some times, uh, so we got to talk about it. But, Steven, thank you for coming on, man. Anytime, my friend, anytime. Uh, absolutely, folks, and thank you all for stopping by the Orange and Brown Report podcast. Again, I'm your host, Jared Mueller. You can get a hold of me on Twitter, at Jared K. Mueller. You can get a hold of Stephen at Brown's Mock Draft, and everything is at theobr.com and on Twitter, at theobr. So make sure you follow along all three of those. Thank you for taking time uh, going into your Tuesday uh, in the last week of February. Uh, And as always, please take care of yourself, take care of others, and go Browns.